And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And we will take it away. Stan the Fan and Craig Heist in on this Saturday, the I believe it is the 15th, 15th. of July. Yes, indeed. That's right. 15th has been coming before the 16th for thousands of years. For years and years, yeah. yeah. So my history teacher, Mr. Nichols, my seventh grade history teacher, used to tell us when we'd have a pop quiz, Mr. Nichols, what date is it? The 14th has been coming after the 13th for thousands of years. Right. Uh, we are here on this Saturday morning. Let's set the stage. Uh, Rich Dubroff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com will join us at the outset. And then Craig Heist, during his vacay, during the All-Star break, got down to Delmarva as promised, which is a story into itself. I'm glad, uh, somebody, game, I'm glad somebody remembered that we did the interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remembered that. Yeah, well. Uh, and was able to get that, garner that interview with uh, the Sun of Rafael Palmeiro, that is uh, Orioles prospect, and a pretty good one, uh, Preston Palmeiro, who plays first base for the Delmarva Shorebirds. We're going to play that at around 1040 to 1050. 1105, Marty Conway, uh, former executive with the Baltimore Orioles, Texas Rangers, and AOL, now a sports consultant and a teacher at uh, Georgetown University, teaches uh, sp- the business of sports, uh, he will join us to talk a little bit about what's going on in the Masson um, litigation that's going on and has gone on for quite some time now, uh, and he'll uh, erase some truths and untruths uh, in telling the story. And will continue to go on for some time. Yes, yes, yes. This, uh, this supposed Nats victory the other day over Masson. And you know what's funny, Craig? Most people say, well, it's the Orioles versus the Nationals. It's really, I know that's easy, but it's really the Nationals versus Masson. The Orioles technically really aren't involved in this. No, not really. Yeah, so, you okay. just knocked this off now. Who? You did. What did I do? Yeah, I don't know what you did. Are we back? No, yeah, yes, we're, we're back. back. I right. never lost it. Oh, yes, you did. No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, well, I lost it. Anyway, that's easy for me to do. Um, he will talk to us about this lawsuit that's ongoing and what's really at the heart of it and how this might eventually settle one day. Uh, and it might settle without Masson even existing at some point in time if the Nationals are successful in getting those kind of rights fees. Marty has been steadfast in telling me that Masson cannot, you know, in other words, contractually, it, they are obligated, Masson, to pay equal to the Orioles and the Nationals in terms of rights fees. Mm-hmm. So if the Nationals were suddenly able to go from $28 million to $75 million, the Orioles' payment would have to go to $75 million. Marty tells me there's not $150 million rights fees within the, per, the ability of them to pay. Right. So somebody like a Fox or a Comcast might end up Owning the rights or or something. Well, like I've that. always thought. I mean, I've always thought from the very beginning each team needed its own network. Yeah. Uh, you know, from that standpoint, and Comcast 
is it would be obviously be the viable right. part of that CSN in some way, shape, or the, form. The only thing is that if if they would go to each each performing on their own network or a separate net, network deal, Angelos's deal then would have lasted about twelve years, and that wasn't what. Major League Baseball intended to pay Peter Angelos well, here's the for bottom. the for the ability of the Nationals to move into Washington. But here's the bottom line to it too. I, I think that Major League Baseball back then didn't think they'd have to be dealing with Peter at this point. No question about it. So But but a contract is a contract. Contract is a contract. Okay. Uh, and and the Washington Nationals are big boys. They understood that they are coming in to take over a good, you know. Let's be honest. The Orioles were drawing between twenty to twenty-five percent of their attendance. Forget what it did to their own revenue from the DC region. From the DC region, yeah. which they've lost, and that's a substantial loss. Now you might argue, well, twelve years of massing, you know, money going and being separated to the tune of like ninety to ten, you know, which is what it's been. Uh, it's now, I guess, about 85 to 15 or something like that. Um, some might say, well, that was enough, you know, but I don't know because the Orioles are never going to regain that 20% of the market share that they had back then. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And the Orioles could argue, for, forget for a moment what we think of Peter as an owner and what he's done to the franchise. You could argue that since Masson's come around, the Orioles have never come close to 3 million fans again. No. You forget that the trend was going downward anyway. Right. They and, and the days of that will never come back. I mean, the Orioles could be a solid 2.6 to 2.8. They'll never draw 3 million fans Well, again. I don't think the Nationals will either. Yeah. So yeah. I think the Nationals have a shot at it, actually. They have a shot at it, but, I mean, yeah. uh, it's, usually, it's usually very close between the two. Yep. And the Nationals have won that attendance war over the last couple of years. All right. Anyway, uh, Marty Conway, 11.05. At 11.30, we will have Andy Dolich. And Andy, who's been on this program about a half dozen times, former executive with the Philadelphia 76ers, Washington Capitals, Oakland A's, San Francisco 49ers, and Memphis Grizzlies, a uh, lifetime uh, a major league sports executive. He's coming on. He lives in the Bay Area and will talk to us about the latest with uh, the Raiders' move to Las Vegas looming in the near future. You know, I mean, it's been announced that they are. What's going to happen? Is that playing into the Oakland A's hands now that they'll be the only major tenant in the city of Oakland because the Warriors are also moving from Oakland to San Francisco for their games, I think beginning this coming season, if not this season, yeah, the next. I think it's I think it's the following the following season. season. But anyway, Oakland will be the only major league team. I mean, the A's will be the only major league tenant in that city, and this may actually play into their hands to get the stadium deal that they want or need desperately need and re- retain their uh, residency in the city of Oakland. Well, it would be nice because that stadium. While it's old and it needs a lot of work, but the bottom line was, and I was out there when I, was, when I used to travel with the Orioles, and 
that used to be. It used to be a great stadium, great place baseball, to watch baseball until yeah. the Raiders came back. Well, yeah, and, and then and they, they built, gerrymandered the whole place. They, they built the whole center field Mount Davis thing, right, right, and just ruined the whole ballpark. Yeah, yeah. it used to be a really charming place yeah. to watch a game. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll talk with Andy Dolich because the commissioner said some things during the break, uh, during the All Star break, uh, that you know, again, expansion. And the cities that are now mentioned, there's actually three cities, Montreal, Monterey, or Mexico City Mm -hmm. in Mexico, and Charlotte now is being mentioned as a potential big league town. But none of that talk about expansion is going to take place until Tampa and Oakland get their stadium situations corrected. And uh, we'll talk to Andy Dolich about that. Sounds Uh, good. uh, Last night, I ended up sticking at the office, waiting out the weather, and then I said, ah, this is going to be a long night. So I grabbed the thing at Chipotle and went home, watched it at home, and did my thing after the game at about 10 of 12 to about quarter after 12 uh, on Facebook Live. Uh, you were there last night. Boy, Kevin Gosman just was awful. He was bad, and, uh, you know, the, the, the bottom line is, once again, nothing wrong with the velocity. Uh, but when you look at some of the pitches, location, location, middle of the plate, and pitch uh, count, and too. pitch count too. Well, he had sixty-nine pitches over three innings, but it's one of my favorite numbers. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And uh, but you know the the four home runs, the three innings, eight runs earned, and you're trying to look at the way he's pitching, what the sequence of pitches are, to try to see maybe maybe get in his mind a little bit. As to what he's trying to do. Now, I saw a lot of pitches start on the inner half of the plate, the left-handed bat, the one to Schwarber right. that he hit into the Orioles' bullpen. Right. A ball that was on the inner half of the plate and just all of a sudden. That was the first pitch after the first home run, right? Right. Just the com- Mont- comes, Contreras right back, comes right back over the heart of the plate. And yeah. Schwarber did what any good major league hitter is supposed to do with a fastball. And, you know, the the – the the pitch is the pitch location is what grabs you is because you you're you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself how can he not see that who is not telling him this is he working on it during the break i mean did he watch any film did he, you're just trying to grasp so what let he's me going let me ask you a head. question i've never really banged you on this you were around covering the orioles during the arthur rhodes era sure. okay is there anything wrong with the career that arthur rhodes had no, long, okay. fruitful career can, out of the bullpen. Can you see a little bit of what I'm talking about? I could, I and it's see, more its more the mental respite this would give Kevin Gosman. I could see that, but I know the Orioles have him envisioned as a starter. That's going to have to, I think, come from the ball club as opposed right. to Kevin. So do, do they envision him as a starter, or do they desperately need him to well, be a starter? Well, it's both at this point. Okay, and I would maintain – that the Orioles, at the same time when Rhodes was coming up, they hadn't fully gotten the benefits of Scott Erickson and Jimmy Key when they moved him to the bullpen. Mm-hmm. They needed him to be a starter, and they swallowed hard and said, you know what, we're wasting a talent. And I think the Orioles are wasting a talent in Kevin Gosman. And that doesn't mean he has to be a number one starter or a closer. Arthur Rhodes was neither one of those but had a productive 14, 15-year career. Oh, and 20 years ago, still made $30 million, $35 million 
during his career. Mm -hmm. Those numbers would – Kevin Gausman, let's not pull out the violins and say, oh, this is so sad. If he'd, He could make $70 million as a relief pitcher over the next 10, 12 years. Well, I mean, yeah, he could, you know, but again – he could get out there and he could totally stink out the joint as well. You'll never know until that opportunity presents itself. What's the worst that could happen? Then he stinks up the joint. Then you go, well, Stan the fan was wrong. And anybody who thought that, let's make him a starter again. And if that works out, you say, boy, we wasted a year listening to Stan the fan. A lot of people say that. <laughs> and no, most notably, my wife, who's right. been with me for 17 years. Exactly. Yeah, she said that so every see year. Where that, see yeah. where that got her. Yes, yes. <laughs> but you're, uh, you're right. And, and, and I said to like three different people last night, long about the sixth inning, I said if they could just get five innings out of one of these starters. <laughs> out of out any of, one. Of, out of any of them. Because, but here's my, and here's why. Down eight nothing. Give this ball club all the credit in the world. Yeah, I do. For battling back and getting that thing tied up with not necessarily the home run ball. Yes, Castillo went deep last night. Right. And Trumbo hit the big one that tied the game. But there were good at-bats in between. A lot of good at-bats You, you look at the two-run single uh, <laughs> and, and things of that nature, and I'm thinking to myself, just give this offense a chance to be able to produce a little bit because – we we saw what happened, and, and Blyer last night absolutely saves the day. As he's continued to as do. As he's continued to do. Two two and a third innings, or two and two thirds, I guess it was, and then, and then O'Day comes in and gets the last. It's two and a third, and then O'Day comes in and, and gets, gets the last two, out. two, right. two outs, including a big strikeout to end the inning. Right. And then you're going Givens, and then you're going Britain, Britain and, then, uh, and, and then Brock at yeah. the end. Now, I'm not so sure why Britain wasn't, you know, scheduled not that it would have made a difference, right. but Brock in the eighth and Britain in the ninth. I, I maybe Buck just doesn't feel like. I think right now he's and I, despite the outcome last night, I think it's been right to bring Zach along. I, I, I thought totally Zach agree. looked fantastic. Last I totally night. agree, and that's two in a row now. Yeah, as that Buck he's said that, after the game that yeah, he that said he's, he's looked like the old Zach Britain. Looked like the old Zach. Yeah. Um, so, but if they could just get five innings out of somebody and have a lead when they're in the sixth inning. Then, then it makes winning a little bit more probable. Right. So so here, the, the thing I wrote about a month ago about Gosman to the bullpen was, and you know Zach a lot, I mean, you know Kevin a lot better than I do because you're talking to him just about every night in some way, shape, or form. You think he's enjoying ma playing Major League Baseball right now? I think he is, yeah. Yeah, I don't see how he is. Why? I don't, I don't because I think the four days in between his starts are like, there's Are you the talking pressure. about Gosman or Gosman or Brock? Gosman. Oh, okay. Did yeah. I say Brock? I'm uh, sorry if I said Brock. <laughs> I said Kevin. Kevin Gosman. Okay. Uh, if, I, I think that the four days I wrote this uh, five weeks ago, four or five weeks ago, that the four days between his starts are pure hell, and the day that he pitches is even worse right now. It might well be, yeah. but you know what else is he going to do? Well, I'm just saying that that's part of the equation to me. Well, that's part of the mental aspect get, of is, it. Is wanting to get somebody in a good headspace, and the worst that could happen to me is that Gosman would go to the bullpen, so you'd bring up Jason Aquino or, well, you know, I don't know what you'd do. Well, now, I will say this about Aquino. I would like to see a little bit more of him in a starter's I role. I actually and, would not. Really? But, but wow. I would really like to see Gosman in that, that role in the bullpen. What's the worst that could happen 
is he collects himself over the second half, reproves to himself that, hey, I can have fun out there, and then you redo it, you, you do a reset next year, and he's a starter again next year. I just think the guy's going to go through this entire season with only small, small glimmers of positivity. So that's that's my take on it. Okay. Um, I do give the cre- the club a lot of credit. You know, I tweeted out once it was 8 nothing. I said, well, at least one of these teams was hell-bent in coming out and proving that the mm-hmm. second half was going to be important to them. And then the Orioles came back and, and did a nice, jo- a real nice job, as you said, at bat by at bat um, to get back in that game last night. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it's a shame Brock makes a bad pitch over the middle of the plate. Yep. Uh, After a hard at bat against Javier Baez, and I think he let down a little bit with Russell as the number nine hitter. Yeah, that's absolutely. My own could, could be. Uh, all right. But well, that's a tough loss because you spend all that energy coming back, you get the big home run by Trumbo. Uh, to tie it up, and, and really hits a pitch at the letters. I mean, yeah. it just goes out. I mean, he goes really up and jumped gets on it, it and yeah. jumps on jumps it. Right. On. It was only a second home run Koji has allowed this year. Joining us now is the man who gets the privilege to cover all these games night in and night out uh, for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com, the one and only Rich Dubroff. Rich, how are you? I'm great, Stan. How are you? All right. You never get separated in how you are. Your identity is never mixed up with the team you cover, is it? Uh, well, it doesn't say uh, it doesn't say Orioles on the front of my shirt. <laughs> okay. All right. Touche. Uh, your thoughts on the latest uh, implosion by one Kevin Gosman? It, it was uh, it was very very. Uh, uh, I would say disheartening for fans to, to see him uh, pitch like that because basically the game seemed to be over in the first inning, you know, and they were hoping that, uh, you know, he would, he would get them, uh, you know, five innings, but when it gets to be eight, nothing, you have to get, you know, you have to get them out of there. And it's a good thing for him. I mean, they were very, very fortunate uh, that because of the all-star break, uh, they were able to uh, have a, you know, have a rested bullpen. I think if it wasn't for the All-Star break, uh, they may not have come back because they were able to, uh, you know, they were they were able to basically use the bullpen at will last night. Uh, that won't be the case going forward. Uh, if they get a, you know, if they get another tough start tonight, then, uh, you know, then things will sort of be back to the way they were before. But not uh, not a good way to start the second half. Which and, is which is certainly you know, a possibility. It, it, sorry, I said which is certainly a possibility. Getting a tough start tonight. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I, you know I think that this is a you know this is a big homestand. They've got to win the large majority of these next nine games to to even think of of uh, you know. Can, of, of something positive. Can, can I ask you, re- a, you know, for the rest of the way, can I ask you a, a rather logical question to me? All these games are important. Uh, the, right. the three but games, the, the, the three games before the all-star break were important. And the 10 after are vitally important. How is Wade Miley getting two of three starts? You know, in other words, uh, two out of four games is Wade Miley starting when Chris Tillman hasn't pitched in 10 days. Does that make any sense to you at all? Well, uh, 
it's because Tillman hasn't pitched and they wanted to give they wanted to give him a couple of side sessions. Okay. That was what okay. that was what but Buck Showalter said the other okay. day. I'd be doing anything possible to avoid putting Wade Miley out there two times over a four game stretch. Well, we'll see if it's gonna be in our uh, in the words of our friend Jim Henneman, a reverse lock. Well, we've got two reverse locks almost well, the it, next two days. It turned out to be a reverse lock the last time that Miami right, took exactly. the Exactly. He won against the Minnesota yeah. Twins. I just yeah. couldn't understand that last Saturday, how his his paternity thing was three days and the fourth day was Saturday, and I know it was an afternoon game, and had that been a seven oh five game out in Minnesota, he probably starts that game. But I'm just very surprised um, at, at – at Tillman's absence from the rotation. Yeah, it uh, it is it is kind of uh, it, it is kind of puzzling. Yeah, and I, I you know, noticed I didn't ask about Bundy because I'm figuring this is one of those times they're trying to shave, you know, shave his clock a little bit to to yes. cut his innings. So I didn't ask about that. But Tillman, uh, my God, I I just don't understand that. Yeah, um, it's interesting. You know, it, it is. It is, it is interesting, uh, but no. let me jump well, on they, to the next most interesting topic, and that is I, I've been pretty steadfast, and I think I've heard you on with Bruce Cunningham and doing some other shows uh, that you haven't been buying into the fact that the club would trade Machado or Britain, but we're now hearing one specific team that has some interest, and it's a team. Well, there that, are other specific. There are other specific teams that have interest. Uh, but but the one that most interests me is the Los Angeles Dodgers because last year the Cleveland Indians gave up an arm and a leg to get Andrew Miller, and I'm looking at uh, the Dodgers as a team who has a great closer in Kenley Jansen, but they may feel, you know what, what we may need to do in some of these games is, is have an Andrew Miller-like talent in the fifth inning or sixth inning to get us out of trouble in the playoffs, and Zach Britton could be that guy, and there looks to me to be a matchup with a team with tremendous number of assets talent-wise and the Orioles. Do you see it that way? Well, I, I see that there are other teams that I, I know are interested in him as well. Okay. There is not an indication that the Orioles are yet willing to, uh, to listen. That's why they keep starting you know, Wade Miley every four days. They they may well, get to that's that why point at the end of the you know basically at the end of this homestand. Yeah, you know uh, a week from tom- a week from tomorrow, if they're not you know if they're not much closer to five hundred than they are now, right? Uh, then uh, you know I think then then maybe there'll be a change in mindset. I cannot under any circumstances see them trading Manny Machado. Yeah, I agree right with now. you there. I that, you know and so. I think that that's. I think that part's crazy talk for now. Yeah, uh, Britain. I think that there might be uh, Britain or Brad Brock. There might be uh, you know some consideration for it. Yep. Uh, and you know, I know Craig would like to see uh, you know maybe some action between the Orioles and the Nationals, but that's not going to happen. Nope. Uh, because I mean, trading Britain to the Nationals actually makes a lot of sense, but. Uh, Baseball-wise, baseball but business-wise, because of the enmity between the two organizations, I you know I can't see that happening. Uh, but I, I think there are many teams that are interested in uh, in Zach Britton, and if the Orioles uh, could 
uh, you know, if the Orioles could get a really good deal for him. But, you know, Britain's uh, going to have to prove that he's healthy now. Yep. Which he's, he's done, which he's done a little times, bit, which, which he's done a little bit of the last two outings. He's he's been right, really good, but he's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to show that he's uh, he's real healthy. One thing is, okay, Britain, you know, Britain's gone. Then maybe they replace him with Brad Brock. If they traded Manny Machado, then you know Joe Schmo is playing third base. Unless it was to the Astros in a deal that started with Alex Bregman, who's been playing third base for them. Uh, you know, and and I'm talking about a, a a Brinks truck being loaded where the Orioles get like five guys. Uh, you kind right. of you kind of cut me off a few times saying that there are other teams in the Dodgers. We know the Nationals would love them, uh, but who else is interested that you're hearing Zach Britton possibly attached to? Well, uh, I, I just, I've been told in confidence that I you know okay. stuff I can't yet report. Okay. Okay. Uh, that there are that there are teams that are uh, in you know that there are teams that are interested in, and okay. I know that any team that's looking for a uh, a bullpen arm, he would be right at the top of the list. I uh, couldn't agree if, more if, with if you. If it were, if it were, uh, uh, you know, if he were available, we're talking with Rich Dubroff, Craig. Uh, you know, we passed each other in the hallway. Uh, like, last, like last passing night. like ships in the night. Like ships in the night. And and I just looked at you, and we kind of both shook our heads. Well, first you said, unbelievable. <laughs> and, and it certainly was last night when you when you stopped to think of an 8 nothing deficit right off the bat. But, you know, I just said to you, I said, if, they, if there's just a way that they can get one of their starters to go five innings and give this offense a chance, I, I mean – you know, the fortunes of this club would, would improve, maybe not dramatically, but certainly better than it is now. And, I think well, dramatically. Well, but, but I'm looking at it from the standpoint of now that the, the bullpen is healthy again, as much as it's been all year, I mean, Blyer was fabulous last night. Then that's followed by O'Day and Givens and then, and then Britton. Before they got to Brock, and I can't, you know, you can't blame Brock for giving up a home run no. there in that situation. I mean, yeah, it was a bad pitch. He probably wants to have it back, but those things kind of happen. But that's a run over six innings for that bullpen last night. Yep. And it's one of the reasons they were able to come back. Right, you are, Craig. And I, I think that, you know, if you just look at how few quality starts the Orioles have had this season, it's been, uh, you know, it's been frightening. You know, I I detailed that uh, in one of the pieces that I wrote during the all you know during the All Star break. Uh, you know, you need you need more than five in you know you need more than five innings, but they haven't even gotten right. Uh, they've they've had an extraordinary number of short starts, like you you like you saw last night. And you know, as good as the bullpen is, it can't withstand. You know. Three times, let's say three times a week, they get short starts. Yep. Well, the bullpen can't withstand that. They can withstand it maybe once a week. Uh, that you get a you know a three or four inning start, but more than that, uh, you know you're going to you're going to be in deep trouble. Good. And they ha- you know and they have been, and you know their offense hasn't been, you know their offense has been a little better lately. Trumbo has been uh, you know perking up some Machado and, and Scope, but uh, Jones, but you know, we, 
the the offense isn't a real diversified offense. No, it, no, it's a, a flawed uh, a flaw flaw in the design of of that offense. We're talking with Rich Dubrov, PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Rich, you know, it was interesting during the All Star break. MLBTradeRumors.com had a, a one of their pieces, uh, you know, which which provides links and all this stuff, and it was the commissioner. Uh, Manfred, he actually alluded to the new the new tendency in baseball. So the reason I'm asking you this is because the Orioles probably are not alone in getting a, a, a sufficient number of short starts. That the commissioner alluded to this 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 shuttle, this ongoing shuttle with pitching talent coming up to save the day, so to speak. Um, is that more than an Oriole issue? Do you see that as something that a lot of teams are having to fall back on? Well, I, you know, I'm so focused on the Orioles. Yeah. Uh, but there are very few teams in, in baseball, even with all the home runs that are hit, that, are, that have ERAs over five a game. Right. And so if that happens, that means you're going to be using, you know, a lot of your, you know, a lot of your bullpen. I think that the Orioles are, are much more clever and much more forward thinking this way. And it's sort of a defensive way of, uh, it's a defensive, uh, right. It's trying to make, make something out of a deficiency, trying to create a strength and, you know, or in, in certain or covering in, stuff up. Yeah. And in certain ways, it has worked. They've unearthed uh, Blyer. They've unearthed uh, Castro as a legitimate arm. And for time, Asher, uh, you know, uh, I still maintain that they they kind of they mishandled him a little early on. I would have still loved to have seen while Tillman was on the DL how he would have done with six or seven starts. It's not as as if Asher was alone in being a problem as a starter. Yeah. Um... But I think that they want to look at, you know, I think that they want to look at Asher as, as a possible starter for 2018. Right. Because I think very soon, you know, you and I are, and Craig are going to have to start talking about 2018. Yeah. Because, um, because you know, uh, being real, you know, being realistic, uh, unless this team plays very, very well in the next couple of weeks. No, uh, it's 2018. We got to start talking about, and Alec Asher and Jason Aquino are two guys that the Orioles are going to look at. Boy, that's exciting! That's an exciting prospect, boy. Well, that's what that's what you have. Yep. Yep. Um, for now, I mean, there are a couple of other, you know, there are a couple of other um, prospects in the organization. I mean, there's some, you know, some starters at Double A that they may want to. Uh, look at, but probably not now. Uh, well, know, you've uh, get, you'll like also David have and Lucas Long. You'll also have twenty million dollars coming off the books, over twenty million dollars in Ubaldo and Miley. That would seem like that could and go JJ Har- and JJ Hardy and and JJ Hardy take, but but but, th- but that's a position you need to then solve uh, with either a third baseman, a second baseman, or you know, in other words. To me, that's that's going to get that money's going to get eaten up by the replacement. Um, to me, they've got to have at least one significant free agent pitcher signing this offseason, well, if not two, to excite the fan base. Well, I think that's going to be hard because when you look at what their last major uh, offseason, you know, their last major free agent pitcher signing, Ebaldo Jimenez, four years. 
you know, fifty million dollars. Right. That's not uh, that, that, that's not something that they're going to look fondly on. And that was the that was the first time the Orioles went out and spent uh, that kind and of money. Gave a free a, a free agent pitcher. Yep. Four years. You know, I mean, they've given it to their own. You know, they've given it to their own, uh, but not uh, not anybody from outside the organization. I think it's going to be. Uh, uh, I, I think it's it may be again a very frustrating uh, uh, frustrating winner, but maybe they'll uh, change. But also remember, Stan, if they decide to keep Britain and Machado for 2018 right. and Brad Brock, they are all going to be due significant raises in arbitration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that all the you know, even though you know, money. Yeah, Machado's uh, going to probably get seventeen. Twenty, least, no, maybe twenty million dollars, right. because Bryce Harper, you know, Bryce Harper signed for what twenty-one million, you know, something like twenty-one million. Twenty-one and a half, oh, yeah. right? But they were not right. under the gun arbitration-wise. Manny's going to have a hard time getting that kind of money on a one-year deal if his numbers stay the same. I mean, I'm Correct. still, I'm still projecting a significant seven, eight million dollar raise. But to get the eleven or twelve million to get him up there with Harper, it's going to be very hard based on the season he's having. Right, but it's just that you know Brad Brock is probably going to get a very hard, a very yeah. hard, you know, large yeah. bump because you know he closed for you know a, a couple of months. You know the and other Britain is. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting. I said Britain is still around. Yep. He'll get. Um, you know. He'll get big money, and yeah. Well, what kind of money? Stillman. What kind of money will he be entitled to an arbitration, you know, or a pre-arbitration signing, based on the fact he'll have gone from forty-seven saves to twelve or something like that? It's hard to see. He'll probably get fifteen. I guess he would still probably get fifteen million. That's that's quite amazing. Yeah. But we left off one other name, by the way. We we admitted that Miley and Ubaldo will not be back next year, and we agree, Hardy. Most likely, but Tillman, uh, unless Tillman were to take a one-year, four million dollar with incentives contract, I don't see him in an Oriole uniform next year. Well, I think that's a good call, Stan. Yeah, uh, and I think that Tillman, may, you know, I think if Tillman continues to uh, flounder, yeah, then that may be, you know, that may be the case. Yeah, uh, you know, last year if Chris Tillman had had the, the good fortune to be a free agent for himself last uh, last winter, he would have been the most coveted free agent uh, pitcher on the market. Yep. Can you imagine uh, what – and, and I maintain, had he not gotten hurt last year, I think the Orioles, there was some, there was some feeling that we're going to sign this guy. I, I think they were moving feel, that There way. was some feeling. Yeah. There was some feeling. Yeah. All right. Uh, as always, a terrific job, Rich. Uh, continue to enjoy your work. It was great finding an Arietta jersey last night. Who are you looking for tonight? Sammy well, Sammy Sosa. Well, no, we have we've used you've used Sammy. Sosa. All right, we've used Sammy Sosa. All right. You know what's interesting is is you know there are four um, there are four former Orioles on the on the Cubs staff. That's you know, right. Maybe there'll be a a Koji Uehara. Uh, Ooh, I Jersey like that. I there, like that. Out there tonight. That might be a, you know, that might be a good one. But, you know, I know you always like to ask me about it because you know how much I enjoy talking about it and doing it. And I was thinking when I, uh, I was thinking earlier today, what was the, jer- what's the jersey that's the most prominent jersey I've never seen? And I've never seen a Ken Singleton jersey. 
Yeah. Yeah, you don't. You know, and, and for all, you know, and for all his accomplishments in Baltimore and the fact that he still lives yep. in the area and he's That's still a good active one. in baseball. Let's throw out a challenge for somebody to wear a Ken Singleton jersey. Number 29. Yep. All right. Yeah, we'll I, I, think, I think that would be a good one. We'll see you out at the park tonight, Rich. Okay, look forward to it. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. All right. By the way, the uh, Major Golf has returned to Baltimore July the 11th through the 16th. We're right at the last two days of this. Yes, sir. Yeah, round three comes up today. Bernard Langer. He's got the lead. He's got the one-stroke lead, 12 under par, over Corey Pavin, who's 11 under. I was watching Pavin yesterday, and I, and I was sitting there at the ninth hole waiting for Langer to come, and they called us all off. The major storm was coming. So I didn't get to see him play yesterday. And, and Brant Job is 10 under. So. All right. But you can get up close to golf's legends at prestigious Caves Valley Golf Club today and tomorrow. Visit CSPGolf.com for tickets and more information. If you like great food and baseball, you have Who to do. Who does it? Who does it? You have to do what I did on my way to the Eastern Shore. And that's stop by Big Bats Cafe located just over the Bay Bridge in Kent Island. Take the first exit to 216 St. Clair Place. Big Bats is the winner of the Golden Anchor Award and voted Best Burgers and Wings. It's like visiting Cooperstown, but with food. Check them out at BigBats.com. And if you're lucky enough, maybe get a T-shirt like this. All right. I like that one. That's a good one. And we'll tell you that you let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. That's right. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Even Craig Heist, with what he makes on the bat around, can almost afford that. Almost. Purchase your Green Turtle <laughs> Friends and Family Package. Well, if he teams up with Bonza, they could afford one uh, half of that. When, uh, yes. Go ahead. Purchase your Green Turtle friends and family package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. When we come back, a Preston conversation, Palmero. A conversation with Preston Palmero. Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Iron Birds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Iron Birds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle friends and family package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Charlie Vassalero introduces you to Baltimore's James Mosher League, the oldest continuously operating African-American youth baseball league in the country. Plus, we look back on the remarkable dual men's and women's lacrosse national titles won by the University of Maryland. Press Box is available for free at over 500 locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. 
Charm Charm City's newest football team, the Baltimore Brigade, are taking arena football to the next level at Royal Farms Arena. This is the first ever season, and you're going to want to be there for it all. Catch a great game with your family sitting close to the field, or get your night started with friends in the Bunker Party Zone. Baltimore Brigade football is high-speed, action-packed, non-stop excitement everyone can enjoy. Get your tickets now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Baltimore Brigade football presented by MedStar Health. Brick by Brick. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand, for me, why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. Baltimore, it's time. Time for major golf. Time for golf's legends. Time to get up close and see it live. Get your tickets to see legends like John Daly, Colin Montgomery, and three-time defending champion Bernard Langer at this year's Constellation Senior Players, July 11th through 16th at prestigious Cave Valley Golf Club. Tickets start at only $20, and kids get in free. Visit CSPGolf.com to learn more today. A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served on a Hawaiian-style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue Sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the Watermelon Mint Lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all-natural watermelon and mint flavors, and it's complimentary to the Smokehouse Barbecue sandwich. Get the Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Tell Steve Pavlowski we said hello and get there before August 19th because these items are available for a limited time only. Welcome back to the Bat Around. Craig Heiss with Stan the Fan Charles and our special guest is Preston Palmero, member of the Delmarva Shorebirds and uh, you're a little different now than the kid I used to see running around the field with your brother Patrick at uh, Camden Yards. Yeah, not so small anymore, you know. <laughs> Indeed not. Uh, grew up a little bit, not that little punk that was running around probably in everybody's way, but, you know, it's good to be back and be a part of the Orioles organization. All right, let me ask you about that. You got drafted last year in the seventh round, and you went to Aberdeen to start your career with the Ironbirds. When you found out you were going to be a member of this organization, one that your father played for, what was your initial thought? Um, I was really excited. Um, leading up to the draft, uh, the Orioles had some serious interest, so I obviously realized you know, it was a possibility, um, and we talked about it, talked about how cool it would be. You know, Camden Yard's unbelievable. Um, just so familiar with the Orioles organization and you know, when I found out I got drafted, I was I was pumped up. I was excited. Um, you know, it's an unbelievable fan base, and it's a great history of an organization. And it's just awesome being able to be a part of an organization that my dad played with and, you know, was able to have so much success with. What's been the journey like these first couple of years, uh, getting to know 
the professional game, knowing that you have to make adjustments as you go along the way? It's, you know, it's different, obviously, than college. Uh, college, there was, you know, not as many games, a little bit easier dealing with that, a little easier to make adjustments because you didn't have the games. And here, it's, you know, it's every day you show up, you know, whether you feel good, feel bad, whatever, you got to be ready to play. And so, you know, I knew that just from watching my dad play at the big league level, but it's it's so much different when you actually have to do it yourself and figure out what works for you and, and just how to approach the game. And um, it's definitely been a learning experience. You know, every day I feel like I learn a little bit more and, you know, learn better ways to take care of my body and just be, you know, prepared every day. But it's it's been fun and, um, you know, I just really enjoyed it. What's the biggest obstacle that you've run into? As you said, you got to learn how to take care of your body. You know it's a day-in and day-out grind. But what's the biggest thing you've had to learn or teach yourself? The biggest thing really is a mental thing because, you know, if your mind goes, your body will go. You know, you can feel, you know, beat up, whatever, tired. But if you tell yourself, you know, mentally that you're feeling good, you know, that, you know, you're ready to play, your body will listen. But if you show up and, you know, you've had a rough week, a rough two weeks, and you're not feeling good at the plate, your body's hurting, whatever it is, as soon as your mind believes that and your body's just like, oh, whatever, you know, I don't want to be here. And you do that in baseball, you look up and all of a sudden three, four, five, six game goes by and you didn't do anything. And, and then it can be hard to recover. So the mental thing is really the, the hardest part. It's just staying in a, a good frame of mind no matter what happens and just being ready to play every day. You hit 258 with the Ironbirds last year. All of a sudden the power numbers start showing up. 11 home runs and 50 RBI. What changed? Because I know it was a tough start for you. Um, well, I, you know, I kind of always hit home runs growing up. So I knew that I would hit some, you know, obviously kind of had um, some in my, you know, like kind of what I thought I would be able to do. And, you know, the first month was tough. Um, I don't know if I just was, you know, pressing just because you know, the season started and wanted to have a real good start. But, you know, once you kind of realize that, you know, 25 games had gone by and there was still 115 games, you're kind of like, okay, I can take a deep breath and just play and, you know, I just kept battling, and it was like, you know, I hit one home run, and then at bat started to get better, and then game started to get better, and then another home run, and then, you know, it's like anything, they just kind of come in bunches, and, um, you know, I'm not up there trying to hit home runs or anything, it's just, you know, some days you, you know, you have, I guess, good luck, and, you know, I've had, I had a pretty good month last month, and, you know, I was able to drive some balls, and I think, you know, the weather's been pretty good up here, the ball's been carrying pretty good, so, you know, I just trying to hit the ball hard, and I've gotten lucky. Well, your name is Palmero, so how much of – is there any pressure that comes along with that, being the, being the son of a Major League Baseball player? Um, I mean, I definitely think there's some pressure, but it, it's – more than anything, it's just what you – you know, the pressure you put on yourself. You know, I think I struggled early on, you know, when I was in, like, high school when I first, you know, got to college, and there was always this, I you know – this assumed identity that, like, always oh, Rafael Palmero's son, he's the best player automatically. But, you know, I've played with a lot of guys that their dads played in the big leagues, and you talk with them, and you realize that you kind of have to create your own identity. And, you know, people say, and it's kind of cliche, but it's true, you can't really worry about, you know, the fact that, you know, my dad was so successful. You know, he was him, that was his career, and, you know, I wear 25 also. And so I know people see that and they assume, like, oh, he's, you know, he's his dad, but I'm, I'm just trying to 
be the best version of me, you know, not really be him. So. And that's what I was going to ask you. What is Preston Palmero's identity? Um, I mean, I would say in some ways I think I'm a similar player to him. You know, I, I think I'll hit. Um, you know, I, I play pretty good defense. Um, I like, you know, I drive in runs. I hit in the middle of the order. So that's kind of my job And being a first baseman. You know, you have to be um, very productive offensively. So, you know, I really pride myself on my defense, though, and uh, – being a productive member of the lineup every day because there's ways you can be productive without, you know, going three for four and hitting a home run, you know, whether it's just that one at bat where there was the guy on third and you hit the rollover to second that, that drives the run in. And, you know, I feel like that's my job. And, you know, I think that's something that my dad was really good at. You know, he was always driving in a hundred runs because he got that guy to third and, you know, he didn't leave him out there. And that's something he always preached to me growing up. So I really just try and be, as productive as I can, you know, on both sides, defensively and offensively. And, you know, I think that's how he was. And obviously he hit, you know, a lot of home runs in the big leagues. But throughout the minor leagues, he didn't hit a ton. You know, it was when he he got to Texas that he started to figure some things out with his swing. And he's told me, you know, don't worry too much about, you know, hitting home runs right now. You'll hit home runs because you're going to hit, you know, you play baseball and over the course of 140 games, you'll hit them. And, you know, as the more at-bats and everything like that, you know, the power might show up a little bit more later on. How much advice do you get from him? Because when he was going well, he was hitting the ball to the opposite field and he was able to drive in runs that way too. Well, I, I do that a lot. I, I like to use the whole field. You know, they uh, everybody shift crazy now in baseball, you know, regardless of how much you really do pull the ball. And um, I get it. You know, a lot of the outs are made on the ground to the pull side. But it's, it's one advantage I have is I do use the whole field like him, and he's always told me that. You know, don't worry about the shift. Don't worry about pulling the ball. Don't try and be this type of hitter. You know, just take what they give you. You know, be aggressive and, you know, drive the ball and be able to drive the ball to all parts of the field. You know, you can be a successful hitter that way because that's, that's how all successful hitters are. I guess that's what he means by let the game come to you. Exactly. You know, you just no reason to go up there and, and try and do anything that, you know, you're not capable of doing or be something that you're not just – you know, be the best version of you and, you know, take what they give you, get the good pitches to hit, whether it's just a line drive base hit to left field or whether it's getting that fastball and hitting a home run to right, you know, just, um, I guess, being aggressive however you can be. One of the things about being a part of this team, the Shorebirds, is the fact that you've had a couple of guys from the big Mm -hmm. club come down on rehab assignments. Joey Rickard, Chris Davis was Mm -hmm. down here uh, this past week, and also Zach Britton. Uh, What was that like? To, and, and for the other guys, too, to get a chance to see them. It's really cool. You know, it's one thing, you know, growing up, being around a lot of big leaguers like I was, but it's another thing to, to be playing with them. Um, you know, I try not to bother them really too much because I know they're here to just, you know, get in, get their work in and go. But it's really cool to watch them kind of go about their business, their focus, um, and just kind of to, to be on the field with the big leaguers. kind of like, you know, we are in single A, but it just kind of reminds you that, you know, they're only a few levels ahead of us. You know, one day that could be us. So it's really cool. Um, I know a lot of guys like to pick their brains and ask them stuff, but um, everybody really enjoys it. You went from short A and now here. Uh, what do you think is a, a realistic, natural progression for you from this point on? I guess some people would say the level to level, you know, year by year. I don't – I guess I really don't know. I mean, I have – you know, I'd like to make it to the big leagues as fast as possible, you know, just like everybody would in the minor leagues. Um, I guess it's, you know, whatever they have planned for me. A lot of it, obviously, is performance-based and opportunity-based. I mean, you got a guy like Chris Davis, Trey Mancini in the big leagues. You know, there's not a lot of spots opening up right now. But, 
you know, it could be a short time away, it could be a long time away, just going to try and get better. And, you know, whenever the time comes, if the time comes, you know, hopefully I'll be ready. Let me ask you something, too, about uh, just your drive to want to do this. Uh, when did you know and when then when you got drafted? Obviously, you were at NC State for a few years. But then when you got drafted, what about the drive and what kind of doubts, if there were any, in your mind? I think everybody has doubts. And I think people that say that they don't, they're either super gifted and they've never really had to struggle or, you know, they're just one of those people that they, some people just know, you know. But um, I didn't always have a ton of success um, in high school and college. I wasn't super heavily recruited. So I guess, you know, there's always that doubt, like, you know, I'm putting all my eggs in the one basket. You know, is this going to be worth it? But to me, I've, I've known that since I was three years old, since I could, whatever, form a thought, you know, I could pick up a baseball bat that this is what I wanted to do, you know. So, um, you know, when the opportunity came, I knew that, you know, this was my shot. Like, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a, a major league baseball player. So, yeah, you know, every now and then there might be like a little bit of doubt. Like, man, is you know, I'm struggling. Is this worth it? But it's like I said, you got to stay in that mindset. Like, you know what? We're gonna, you know, stay positive. We're gonna keep going, and you know, one day it'll all be worth it. Because if you get there, I mean, there's nothing better. When you got drafted, who was the guy that was scouting you the most? Uh, Rich Morales was the area scout, and he. I think he watched me pretty heavily. I saw him at some of the, the early tournaments we played in in the year, and I met with him right before the draft. And he, you know, he told me the interest level they had or he had, and so I knew kind of going in, you know, that this would be a, a strong possibility. Preston, one thing about family is there's always a support group, and I know your mom and dad support you and Patrick in whatever you're going to do. Obviously, with the way your dad's career ended, mm -hmm. uh, that was tough. Had to be tough on everybody. And you're looking back 12 years now, mm -hmm. probably 13. What was that like for you to – because you're old enough then at that time mm -hmm. to understand what's going on. What was that like for you guys as a family? Uh, it was tough, you know, just because it was like with the 3,000 hit just happening, uh, whatever, three weeks before the suspension – it was almost like the icing on the cake, you know, the cherry on top. Like he got to 3,500. It's almost like he could ride off in the sunset if he wanted to at the end of the year. You know, he had the 20-year career, and it was like everything was perfect. And then it was like everything just went crumbling down. I know that's kind of dramatic because he still had his career and had everything he could walk away with. But it was tough just because I felt like a lot of people looked at his careers and didn't value it for what it was worth, you know, regardless of the suspension or everything because – you know, it was an outstanding career, and, you know, there's not very many guys in baseball that did that. And we struggled with it for a little while, and I was I was a little angry. Not so much that it happened, just kind of angry with the way people talked about him. And, you know, like I felt like he was like the scapegoat for everything. But, you know, it was, it's the past, and I've learned how to kind of deal with it. And, you know, there's taunting every now and then, and people say stuff. But kind of like, yeah, you know what, it happened. It happened to other guys. Um, it was tough, but think we've been able to move on from it you know and um I, I try not to really like I don't really worry about it too much you know I know what happened but I also I know baseball I know what he did as a baseball player I know who he is so at the end of the day it doesn't really you know have too much an effect on me anymore yeah, and that's really all that matters mm -hmm, exactly Preston Palmero Delmarva Shorebirds great to see you and uh continued success here and who knows Camden Yards could be in your future hopefully hopefully one day it will be all right thanks a lot for joining us on the bat around thank you well had a guy and uh I think he's got a very good 
idea about him as a baseball player, Stan, and uh, you know he's going to just continue to work hard. Like you said, the biggest thing he had to learn was the fact that it's a day-in, day-out grind to be able to try to get better, and who knows? Well, he did sound like a really level-headed kid and uh, was uh, particularly touching that you asked him about how tough that was on the family mm -hmm. uh, because he did get to witness that. You had a great story you told me and Bonza, though. You, <laughs> the, the day you, you did that interview, which was Thursday, Thursday, right? you I just, just sat down and said, I'll watch a couple innings of this game. I, to I told Preston, I said, well, you know, thanks for doing the interview. And I said, I'm going to hang around, watch you take a couple of bats and then uh, head back home because, you know, you got the Orioles starting the next night. Right. And uh, I left about the fourth inning, saw Preston take a couple of bat at-bats, flew out to left field twice, actually just shy of the warning track uh, in his fir first at-bat, right. uh, left center field. And then left fielder made a great play on him, uh, kind of a backhanded stab to take extra bases away from him uh, down the left field line. And then he got drilled in his third at-bat. Uh, but, but I left around the fourth inning. They were trailing five to two. I get back home and, you know, I'm Laurel, right? Laurel, and I'm looking at the, the computer and I say, yeah, I wonder who won that game. <laughs> so I click it on, and when I look at it, it's a 6 6 tie in the 14th. Well, this game, I love that. this game proceeds to go 20 innings. And did you listen to it? Or? No, no, no. Uh, okay, just, I'm just, just following it online. Right. Uh, and this game proceeds to go 20 innings in a 6 6 tie. Thunderstorms come into Salisbury, and the game gets suspended until the next day. This is at 1 o'clock in the morning. At five minutes to one, yeah. So they had to suspend it. They started it and then finished it the next day. Uh, Lexington kid hits a home run right off the bat, right. and Delmarva winds up losing 7-6. to six, And then last night's regularly scheduled game got rained out. But I'm thinking to myself, I'm glad I didn't stick around for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a great story. And I really appreciate your taking the time out of your vacation to hop over there. Not a problem. You know, I when I worked down there on yep. the Eastern Shore, <clears throat> it wasn't too long after I left where the Shorebirds came into existence. And the first year they were there, they were a Montreal Expos uh, affiliate mm -hmm. before they became affiliated with the Orioles in the second year. And I got a chance to see Orlando Cabrera down right. there right. in Delmarva. So that was pretty good. Pretty good. Purdue Stadium is really a very nice place. The night Davis was down there for his rehab stint. Right. Uh, the night before that, they had about 6,500 people. Really? So that, they packed the place that night. And uh, I told the PR guy, actually the broadcaster uh, for the Shorebirds, I told him, I said, I was coming over here to do this specifically with Preston. I said, but there was no way I was going to come over here and be a part of that zoo the night before. So, But Rockabaca was down there, and Rock did uh, take part in uh, looking at uh, Chris at Davis, Davis for yep. four at-bats. Yeah. Yep. So, but, uh, yeah, a lot of people uh, on hand for him, and it's a nice little stadium. And that's the great thing about the Orioles in terms of the, the minor league facilities being so close to one another. Yeah, Delmarva, Frederick, and Bowie, Bowie all right. within, what, 75, 90 miles? Yeah, all, yeah. yeah, easily. Yeah. Uh, Orioles will take on the Chicago Cubs tonight. Old friend Jake Arrieta will pitch against Wade Miley tonight. And tomorrow, the newest member of the Chicago Cubs, Jose Quintana, will face Ubaldo Jimenez. Uh, and then the Texas Rangers come in for four straight nights at 7.05. Then the Astros come in. So it's not going to be an easy week of baseball for the Orioles. They lost last night 9-8 to 
game. They battled back heroically from an 8 nothing deficit after just two and a half innings to tie the game in the bottom of the eighth, only to lose it on a um, Addison-Russell solo home run in the top of the ninth. Well, you know, and if you get any kind of starting pitching over the next five, six days, Stan, the Orioles can win themselves some baseball games because while the Rangers have a bunch of offense, they, they've really struggled this year in yeah. terms of that. Uh, the Chicago they're very Cubs. close to having the same decisions to make. There's talk that they're yeah. willing to listen to trade you, Darvish, and Cole Hamels. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Hamels certainly been down that road before as a member of the Phillies, you know, getting traded down there. But this is a situation for the Orioles where they've got to make hay over this 10-11 game homestand because if they don't, then they've really got some tough decisions to make. And I'm not so sure they're going to make them. Yeah. Um, you get what I was asking Rich Dubroff. Yeah. Here's a team that is talking about how important these 10 games after the All-Star break are to, to the decision of what to do with the short-term and long-term future of the team. And those games right before the All-Star break were pretty important, too. And Wade Miley gets to start two out of the four games. Yeah. It's just it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. Me. He was terrible in, his, in, the, in the one start. Where he didn't get past the third inning, he was pretty good, five and two thirds in in the game against Minnesota. But again, you're you're looking at that series after dropping the first two of a four game series, and you're you're thinking, well, how's Miley going to be able to get out of this? And he threw the ball pretty well. Yeah. And then Ibaldo goes out there the next day and throws the ball pretty well. Yeah. So, I mean, I just go back to last weekend. Somehow, where I would have had, if if I had to, I would have pitched Ubaldo on a short start on Saturday. Tillman on Sunday, and then Ubaldo could have started the first game. You could have had Gosman. I would have pushed Miley back as far as possible well. to start baseball games. All right, we're going to take a timeout right now. And uh, speaking of Oriole Minor League Baseball, uh, and by the way, Marty Conway joins us after the break. Let the Ir- Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of your planning for your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get a load of this. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. Folks, that's a $208 value for just $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle Friends and Family Package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. Major Golf, it's back right now in Baltimore through tomorrow, the 16th. And the leaderboard is pretty jammed up as far as that at the Constellation Senior Players Championship out at Caves Valley Golf Club. Get up and close with the legends of golf at the golf club. And you can visit them online, cspgolf.com, for tickets and more information. And that leaderboard is jammed up. Uh, Bernard Langer with the lead after two rounds, 12 under par. Corey Pavin right on his heels, 11 under. All right. We'll be back with Marty Conway right after this. Charm City's newest football team, the Baltimore Brigade, are taking arena football to the next level at Royal Farms Arena. This is the first ever season, and you're going to want to be there for it all. Catch a great game with your family sitting close to the field, or get your night started with friends in the bunker party zone. Baltimore Brigade football is high-speed, action-packed, non-stop excitement everyone can enjoy. Get your tickets now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Baltimore Brigade football presented by MedStar Health, brick by brick. 
It's summer, which means you're driving somewhere. It might be Ocean City, maybe Wildwood or the Outer Banks, wherever it is. You're driving there, and you haven't driven that far in a while. So you need to go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, because they're going to give you a free road trip check and a free battery check, plus the best prices on tires in town and $79.95 AC services all summer long. Don't wait until you're on the road to find out there was something wrong with your vehicle. Go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first. You can call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS or visit FullCircleTireAndAuto.com to find out more. KZ here, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Sarita, the NFL chick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Every Sunday, 10 to noon, we talk about mostly football. We, We talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps. If there's an important story around the country, we'll throw that in. But our heart, our soul, of course, is football. Baltimore sports. Baltimore sports. In general. Do a little bit DC. We got to give them some love sometimes. Uh, I guess. Sundays, <laughs> Sundays, 10 to noon, Press Box Fantasy Reality Football Show. A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick fil A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick fil A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served on a Hawaiian style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the watermelon mint lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all natural watermelon and mint flavors and it's complimentary to the smokehouse barbecue sandwich get the chick-fil-a nottingham square 5198 campbell boulevard in the nottingham square shopping center tell steve pavlowski we said hello and get there before august 19th because these items are available for a limited time only Hey, it's Nick Ashew. It's Tim Murray. And we're back now with Pressbox Online every Tuesday. Game time with Tim and Nick. So, similar name. Very similar name. A lot of the same content. Oh, we'll change that content up, you know. We'll stay with the times, obviously. But we're still going to yell at each other. Oh, I'll push your buttons whenever we want. You always do. We're like an old married couple. Every Tuesday, subscribe to us on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud, Pressbox Online, Game Time with Tim and Nick. Find Game Time under the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or on iTunes and SoundCloud. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Charlie Vassalero introduces you to Baltimore's James Mosher League, the oldest continuously operating African-American youth baseball league in the country. Plus, we look back on the remarkable dual men's and women's lacrosse national titles won by the University of Maryland. Press Box is available for free at over 500 locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. And we are back, Stan the Fan, along with Craig Heist. It is the bat around for a Saturday morning. We're here until noon. Uh, joining us in about 30 minutes will be none other than Andy Dulwich, former Major League executive in four, all four of the big major sports. Andy worked for the Philadelphia 76ers, Washington Capitals, Oakland Athletics, Memphis Grizzlies, and then got his football Cherry uh, with the San Francisco 49ers, now consultant in the San Francisco Bay Area. We're going to talk to him about what's going to happen with that Oakland Stadium and whether the A's will stick around the Bay Area. But joining us right now is somebody I guess who knew Andy Dolich a little bit. That's a good friend of mine who used to work in the uh, marketing department for the Baltimore Orioles, Texas Rangers, then went to AOL for close to two decades 
and he's now a teacher at Georgetown University, also a consultant with some local companies. It's my good friend Marty Conway. Marty, how are you? Good, Stan. How are you? Good morning. Good. And you know Craig Heist, I think. Hey, Craig. Hey, I I want you to know, too, one thing, that I still, still to this day, use AOL for my email (laughs) and some other things. Well, so, bless you, my friend. Well, I'm, it's, I'm indebted. It's funny, it's, it's funny because people ask me, what's your email? And I can tell them what the email address is. And I say, at AOL.com. And I said, don't judge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I can assure you, Craig, there would be three things that there wouldn't be today. There wouldn't be a Twitter, there wouldn't be a Facebook, and there wouldn't be a Google. You, not for AOL. So. You betch you. So, yeah. I thought you yeah. were going to say, if not for Craig Heist. Well, he's probably I'm, just, the, uh, I'm <laughs> just keeping the tradition going, that's all. That's right, man. I still, I still have Marty Conway at AOL, and people are like, how long have you had that? And I said, forever. Forever, right. So, you know, it's yeah. funny. I've got Stan the Fan. I've had that uh, Stan the Fan at AOL.com, but I went to use it for Facebook Live, and somebody has it. In other words, uh, we have a new way to sign in to watch my Facebook Live post-game O's chats you go to press uh, facebook.com slash Stan the Fan Charles to mm. get there. Stan the Fan was taken. It's uh, unbelievable. Uh, which which is scary because there can't be two of the two of the same, Mark. <laughs> well, there was one. Uh, this, this is a true story. About 15, 18 years ago, I called Peter Schmuck up one day, and his wife answered, Linda, and uh, she said, who shall I say is calling? And I said, Stan the Fan, and she said, that's funny. You're the second Stan the Fan that's called <laughs> today. And I said, what? And she said, yeah, a guy from Boston called. So Peter gets on the phone. And he says, yeah, this guy wanted to have me on the show. I was semi-dating a woman. She lived in New York. We'd become great friends at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, and she was an intellectual property attorney. She sent them a cease and desist because I had trademarked Stan the Fan for the purposes of of sports talk, some guy named John Meterparel, that was his last name, Meterparel, out of Boston, had his brother had driven around here one day and heard me and said, boy, that's a great name. Great, yeah. So he started using my name up in Boston. So they, they ceased and desisted rather quickly when Lucy Nichols got on the case. Um, speaking of legalities, um, can you, rather than jump into this, ma- this latest mass and uh, dispute news, uh, yeah. where the Nationals got a, uh, we'll find out if it's a Pyrrhic victory or a real victory. Can you give us some context on how long this is going on and what is at the core of this battle between Masson and the Washington Nationals? Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, so it's actually been occurring since the 20, 2010, 2011, roughly that, that range, because the original agreement between uh, the Washington Club before the learners owned it and Masson and, and the Orioles was in 2005 when the team moved. Right. The provision in the contract for rights fees uh, allowed that every five years of the agreement, there would be an opening opportunity to look around and basically revalue the contract, right? Rebalance it. Right. And the first time that that happened was prior to the 2011 season. Um, that's where the dispute arose. Uh, there's a provision in the agreement which specifically calls for the formula as to how these new rights fees every five years are to be calculated. But the Nationals had a very serious dispute with that, and when the two sides could not agree, they took this to Major League Baseball and the Revenue Sharing Definitions Committee, which is what the arbitration court was supposed to be per the contract, 
And then from there, and that's known as the into, that's known as the RSDC, right? That's what everybody okay. reads about is yep. the RSDC, and that's a that's a tribunal of three owners selected by Major League Baseball uh, to uh, hear this dispute, any dispute, and then uh, you know make their ruling, and uh, such is supposed to be followed according to Major League Baseball's constitution. And let me just interject that at the current time, back when this started. The three teams were the Pirates, Tampa, and the Mets, correct? That's right. Those are the original three. And yeah. wasn't that part of the problem that Peter argued that those folks had conflicts of interest because they all used the same law firm as MLB, yeah. correct? Yeah, so Proskauer Rose, which is a legendary sports law firm, it's you know given rise to uh, commissioners, uh, you know, uh, current commissioners and, and all sorts of really well-known sport lawyers. They were uh, the legal, primary legal representation for the, not only the three clubs on the tribunal, but they also do considerable work for Major League Baseball. So uh, the dispute, obviously, that the Orioles and Masson side raised was that there was a fundamental unfairness potentially here, um, sort of an appearance of conflict or interest, whether there was actually a conflict or not. It's certainly represented. And that's actually what the, the dissenting opinion this time that came out from the New York Appeals Court, the Chief Justice of the Appeals Court actually cited that and said that, uh, in his view, he thought that the tribunal may not be able to reach a fair uh, uh, outcome because of the kind of inherent biases um, that were there, for whatever that's worth. What is what is the uh, significance of? the you know of the ruling yesterday by the by the the court in New York so both sides can take a little bit i think the nets maybe take more of a 60 40 win away which is um, the court ruled that the rsdc is the place where this dispute uh, should be um, should be heard and and finalized um, and again that was a narrow 3 to 2 victory in terms of that now on the other hand the uh, court did vacate the previous ruling by the RSDC, which gave the Nationals a $60 million or so annual rights fee uh, from, from Masson. So each side had a small, you know, to a certain extent, their view of victory. But as I said earlier, I think that the Masson side will certainly appeal clearly based on the Chief Justice's dissenting opinion, which essentially says that even if you do send this back to the RSDC, uh, it's unlikely to be a fair hearing just because of the inherent parts of that. But, you know, that that's this goes back, uh, you know, I've said to Stan and others along the way, but this goes back decades. Um, Charles O'Finley in the mid-'70s when he was selling his players off uh, while his franchise was struggling, he challenged Commissioner Kuhn, who denied these sales, and this set off a series of legal uh, disputes and questions in the court and almost every time uh, the courts ruled in favor of Major League Baseball, suggesting that or dictating that the Major League Baseball Constitution is the preeminent uh, document that owners sign when they agree to become uh, owners of Major League Baseball. And that's where all disputes should occur. Now, if you look at the NFL, they've lost more disputes in the court, but Major League Baseball has tended to almost win all the time and return these kinds of disputes either between owners and the commissioner or between clubs, back to Major League Baseball under their, um, under their constitutional guidelines. You and I have discussed this uh, off-air many, many times, Marty. 
And tell me, tell me this, if somehow this gets to the RDC in the next year, and first of all, it now goes back, there will be, um, uh, there'll be um, retroactive penalties, correct? Or, or retroactive findings from the years 12 through 16 that the Nats are entitled to more revenue if in fact the RSDC does award them uh, much higher, significantly higher uh, TV uh, rights fees, correct? Well, that, I think that's a potential, uh, according to what I know, and of course what other people have reported, that Major League Baseball did advance the Nats some amounts of money. People have said 20 to $30 million, um, you know, to sort of cover the difference here because they felt like there was a likelihood that the RSDC would rule in the favor of the Nats. So it's unclear how much money they're out. They have been advanced money along okay. the way. Maybe there's some supplemental. But, yeah, you raise a point that um, that could be. The other thing is that I think it's going to be interesting. The value of TV rights, as we know, has has spiked. That was, go the last that was going to be my next question. So if, yeah. if, if they try and somehow the RSDC says, yeah. you know what? The, the Nats are right here. They're entitled $75 million a year. Contractually, Masson, and I think this is where people misunderstand this, it's not Peter Angelos or not the Orioles. Masson would then contractually have to pay the yeah. Orioles exactly yeah. that same amount, correct? Yeah. yeah, there's a parity clause in the contract that allows for whatever rights fees to the Nats or the Orioles should be mirrored on the other side. So when, when people say, why is you know, Masson digging in so hard or why is Peter digging in so hard? Well, you know, if there is a ruling here and, and it moves from 40 to $60 million a year in terms of rights fees, let's say, or 70, that corresponding amount of money has to be paid uh, to the Orioles as well. So you may say, well, that's great for, for the baseball team, and it right. would be good for that. But now we start to spill into another area, which is revenue sharing and how much the team would actually keep of that versus have it one-third of it or so, roughly, would go into the local revenue-sharing pot that Major League Baseball has for all teams. And so the team would not retain only but you know two-thirds of every dollar, frankly, that they would get as part of this. So that's another uh, challenge. And, and my last point on that, that will be directly disproportional to what Peter Angelos thought he was getting in 2005. When he when allowed the team settled. to move here. Yep. Yeah, and if you and if you listen to reports and read, that number could have been somewhere around 250 or maybe 300 million dollars, maybe less, maybe more than that. I mean, and so this is what he expected from that. And so if he is earning profits or Masson is earning profits in the last few years of 40, 50, 60 million dollars, well, that's just basically installments on what they might have gotten from a huge damages claim, you know, 10, 12 um, years ago at this point. But my question then is, if suddenly that figure becomes $75 million yeah. rights fee for the Nats and yeah. it's 75 for the Orioles, yeah. can Masson afford to pay 150 or or even three years or four years down the road, $100 million? Can they afford $100 million a team for these rights fees, or do they go out of business? Well, I don't think they go out of business, but I do think you raise a good point about how much profit there is in there because uh, we all know, we've read uh, lots and lots about ESPN, and you would have to tie me down and torture me to tell me that if ESPN is getting less in terms of the number of subscribers per month, 
that any regional sports network below ESPN isn't feeling similar or the same type of regression in the amount of subscribers. Um, so that ultimately goes to how much is there. Again, this is me. This is my pure intuition, perhaps. Right. I think that if this dispute goes to that point and there is more revenue, have to be around. I think it invites a third party in to finally bring a, a Fox or a Comcast or an AT&T into this environment because they have all kinds of liquidity that they could spread in here and in return get a minority share initially in the network and then ultimately have a right to convert that to a majority share, which is what happened with the Yes Network and Fox a few years ago where the Yankees owned 80% and now they own much less because Fox has come in and bought um, the majority share now and it actually is the controlling interest in the network. When you look at MLB's uh, situation in all of this, uh, and I was talking to somebody the other day who said, well, you know, part of this is the MLB just didn't think that they'd still be dealing with Peter at this point. Uh, I that, agree totally with that. Well, that yeah, was like a wink and a nod from Bud Selig. Right, exactly. Trust me, we'll handle this or he won't be around. Right. That said, what do you think is the best time frame for getting some kind of a resolution to this? Well, um, Peter's history is not one of settlement. We we know this. I think that I mean it's <laughs> yeah. not just my opinion. That's pretty good public record of of his litigation practice, which is to you know finally go into a win lose type environment and not to settle. But I think ultimately, if they do not get any more traction from their appeal at the New York Supreme Court or the Court of Appeals, whatever the next level highest court is and they have to deal with Major League Baseball in this revenue-sharing's definition committee, then I think we could be talking about sometime a year from now, maybe after the next All-Star game, something like that. But again, a lot can happen between then and now in terms of the, you know, the constitution of all ownership in baseball and different things. And I, and I do, I, I just have this intuition, I think, that there's a time out there where if you are going to make a transaction, either with the club or the network, you're going to make the network transaction first. This happened in Cleveland about five years ago where the Indians uh, sold their great interest, kept a minority stake so that they could continue to get profits, and took a humongous windfall rights fee annually from, from a, uh, uh, I think in this case it was Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would be more inclined to look for a transaction on the media side over the next one to two years instead of on the you know instead of on the team side because i think if you're going to strike a deal in a declining uh, uh subscriber environment in cable then i think the time to do that is probably sooner than later and and lock yourself into a new maybe 10-year deal with a, a an at&t or somebody that really wants access to this market and do not count out my kind of last parting comment might be do not come out comcast now that ted leonsis is a one-third partner in Comcast Mid-Atlantic. Ted's relationships go deep. We don't have to go into that. Yep. But his relationships go deep. And I could see a scenario where they would be at the table looking to scoop up baseball because it now gives them hockey, basketball, baseball, and would give them a year-round <clears throat> excuse me, sport, sports footprint with two channels, not just one. One last thing. Um, is it, you know, we, you, you were working for the Orioles as Camden Yards was being built, you got yeah. hired away from Texas Rangers then-President George Bush. 
uh, before yep. he ran for governor, you went to work for the Rangers. Do you remember when the All-Star break, the All-Star game was played in Baltimore? And yeah. after Camden Yards hosted the All-Star game, there were all these writers that said, this should be the permanent home of the All-Star game. <laughs> we all knew that wasn't going to happen. But right. we're now 25 years in, yeah. now 26. Yeah. Uh, we haven't had another All-Star game. It's very clear that uh, Major League Baseball is punishing Peter Angelos and the Orioles franchise by not allowing them to host another All-Star game. Isn't yeah, that no true? Dispute. But Bud, Bud said that wasn't the case, and even Rob Manfred has been less yeah. so. Uh, he hasn't really commented on it as right. much as Bud did. Bud was very adamant that, oh, that was not the case. Well, but, that's, a, that's a reason why I'm not a fan of either guy. Yeah, yeah so c- clearly it is, and the way that they've reconstituted now, teams have to really be more aggressive this rotational circumstance that used to rule is now gone and now uh, you have to compete for it in the sense of what will you do for the all-star game and then what will the all-star game do for major league baseball i would think that just given the history now that the nats are going to host it next year the soonest that it would come back to the region would be three years and maybe more like five because i think the last time this really occurred was when both the mets and yankees hosted the all-star game and i think Mm -hmm. it was five years apart yeah but uh, i and and then other people have lined up. I know the Dodgers want it. I know the Cubs want it. I know the Phillies are going to get it on the 250th anniversary of you know the country in 2026. So there are a number of slots, I think, that are tentatively filled, and that would leave the Orioles vying for certain of those over the next eight or ten years. But clearly it's not going to happen until and – I, and I do think this is a key to that resolution, that if you were to say, hey, we might be able to do this for you within three years, say – um, if we can see ourselves through to have a settlement, say in 2018, so you know, there's an uh, old it's, exp- it's a carrot. There's an old expression used, you know, over my dead body. It appears that Bud Selig <laughs> and and Rob Manfred literally have drawn that line for Peter Angelos hosting an All Star game. All yeah, right. it's unfortunate for Baltimore because yep. it really is a great place to have it and certainly yep. deserves to have it. And, and I got to be honest with you, I, I, you know, maybe there's some some wiggle room here, but you know, Peter Angelos, when he agreed to let the Nationals come in and take over the territory yeah. uh, that that was making up 25% of his attendance, uh, he was supposed to get a windfall, and he's had it up to this point in time, uh, and uh, now they want to change the rules. It looks like. No, certainly. I mean, that's the side of the debate, and I. I would not say that I would disagree with because there was things in writing and yep. <clears throat> this was the agreement. So um, All right. that's where we are. Marty, many thanks. Uh, always appreciate having the smartest guy in the room on the show. All right. Well, I appreciate that, Stan. Craig, you guys have a great show. I was going to say, and Marty, thanks for calling in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Marty Conway um, explains it. Pretty clearly. Pretty clearly, and I, I don't think there's any question about the fact that, you know, the, the agreement is what the agreement is. Uh, if you leave this up to MLB, uh, it's certainly a situation where both Selig and Rob Manfred, uh, you know, want this to be divvied up a little bit easier or more copacetic for both clubs. But, you know, in the end, it's the Orioles who suffer out of it. In fairness to the national side and point of view, I don't think when this contract between the Orioles and the Nationals was created in 2005 or six. Right. And by the way, Major League Baseball made a major miscalculation. They moved the team there 
before they had this deal in place, right? Which gave Peter all the leverage in the world, okay? In my opinion, yeah. But but um, I think this is going to end. Nobody could have back then in two thousand five or six seen the astronomical uptick in in rights fees. So and now, con- conversely, the uptick in players' salaries mm-hmm. that went along with that. The the economics are vastly different than they were in 2005 for the Nationals. Right, but I also know that the Nationals obviously feel like they have a right to complain about the deal yeah. as it's currently yeah. situated. I see both sides of it, and I, I see think both that's sides why, of it. I think that's why this will eventually end up with a third-party ownership of the uh, of the uh, rights fees. Well, it could yeah. very well be, and you know, but the maybe bottom line box, is maybe this, press box gets into this. It. Has not stopped the maybe Nationals. Maybe press box gets, gets uh, well, into yeah, it. Well, yeah, that's possible. But uh, this has not stopped the Nationals from going out and spending the money right. to, number one, be able to get free agents to come to Washington. Number two, have one of the better farm systems around. And, uh, and so, sign a lot of and, international players. Right, exactly. So, I mean, for all of the things that, that they, they feel like they have a right to complain about, yep. you know, it's not stopping them from doing business. All right. Uh, Wade Miley goes tonight for the Orioles against Jake Arrieta, eight and seven. Very human like Jake Arrieta. Did you talk to him last night? I talked to him last night, and uh, you know he's saying all the right things. He talked about the fact that you know somebody asked him, "Do you ever think about what might have been, you know, if you'd have stayed here?" And uh, he had talked about the rough times before he left town and went. Sure. To Chicago, but he said, you know, he says he always liked playing here. He says the people are great, the fans are great, uh, the organization he always thought was great. Yep. So, from that standpoint, uh, maybe again with the numbers being what they were here for him, I just think the change of scenery was was beneficial. No to, question, to, no question about it. Because it got his career on track, and Buck said as much last night. I understand Tom Mar- Marty Conway was the one that told me this. Tom Verducci has a book out about the Cubs, mm-hmm. uh, and it's got a, a whole chapter on Arietta, mm-hmm. and it goes into some of the problems he had with Rick Adair and uh, that nature. And it always goes back to me for the one mis- the biggest mistake Buck made was not sticking with Rick Kranitz, who was the guy that had developed some of these young pitchers a little bit, and they got along well with him. He brought in his guy, Mark Connor, mm-hmm. and Connor quit after six weeks, and we ended up with Rick Adair for two and a half years. Yeah. All right. Uh, joining us right now is another guy that I like to refer to as the smartest guy in the room, and that is Andy Dulwich, former Major League executive with uh, all four of the big sports he joins us now. He's a sports consultant, lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. And what time is it out there? It's about 11.30 a.m. here, so it's 8.30, it's 8:30 out there, out my there, math yeah. tells me. Hey, it's beautiful in Northern California. And let's not forget the famous Maryland Arrows of the National Indoor Box Lacrosse League playing at the former Cap Center. I've, I was general manager of that team. Go I, figure. I, right? was that, we live in you guys are in a lacrosse crazy market. Yeah. Was that at the same time you were working for the Capitals? No, uh, that led to the Caps job. Oh, so okay. So when I, when I left the incredible uh, disaster that was the 9-73-76ers, and 73, 76ers, I went to the Maryland Arrows because it was more money and a better title. 
<laughs> two years there, we played in the CAP Center and did really, really well attendance-wise. And the CAPs said, hey, maybe this guy knows what he's doing. And there was a lot of combinations. It's hard to believe, Stan, that in those days, there were NHL players. Remember Doug Favelle? Yep. He played, and Rick Dudley played both in the NHL and the NLL in the same year. When would that ever happen again? They played in a major indoor soccer, uh, uh, lacrosse league? Yep, same year year they played in the NHL. That was kind of like the old days when Johnny Aninas or Jim Parker were liquor salespeople, right? During the offseason. Right, or or selling cars. Now with free agency, especially in hoops, guys can buy their own franchises. And back then you needed to have that second job if you were an athlete. No question (laughs) about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always think back to my first year with the Oakland A's. And, you know, for those that are listening, they go, ah, here's a bunch of old guys like the the balcony guys from Sesame Street (laughs) talking about the old days. But if you think about money, our outfield in Oakland, they were puppies at that time. Ricky Henderson, Dwayne Murphy. And and Armas. Tony Tony Armas, Armas, right? Yep. Right. Uh, one their thing- combined their combined salaries combined salaries in 1981 175,000. Yeah. Combined a little bit a little yeah. bit of a little bit of a far cry from today. <laughs> is- yeah, how many second basemen that nobody can even name are making 8 to 10 million bucks a year, yeah, right? I know. Hey, we ha- we have you on to talk about the Bay Area situation with the stadium, but we just had one Marty Conway and I think you know Marty, don't you? Oh, we go, we go way, way, right. way back. We had Marty on to talk about this most recent court victory by the Nationals in the Masson dispute, um, and we were talking about when Masson was devised, the Maryland Mid Atlantic Sports Network, the rights fees were so small compared to what they are to today that I don't think even that short a time ago, twelve years ago, they envisioned what these TV rights fees were going to be, Andy? No, there's no question about that. And when I heard you mention it, I was thinking about the difference. You know, everybody looks at big market, small market teams. And the one thing, guys, that you can't replicate in a small market is eyeballs. I mean, New York, Chicago, uh, D.C., Baltimore. But, you know, if you're in Memphis or OKC or New Orleans, there's just fewer. And... I don't know what the numbers are now, but I would always talk to my owner at the Grizzlies, Michael Heisley, the late Michael Heisley, who was always yelling and screaming at me when he'd come back from a board meeting and say, hey, wait a second. Are you as dumb as you look? The Knicks are generating, you know, 200 million from their local broadcast rights and you're doing 18. And I go, I should win a Nobel Prize for doing 18. And that, that difference and what you say, all of these regional uh, sports markets, and, and now I think um, the, the challenge is you see what's happening at ESPN. I see it out here in NBC Sports Bay Area, which used to be Comcast. They've named their regionals now as part of the network, and they're laying people off. They're going to less expensive productions of uh, shows, and that's because the money that they're paying out to these teams they're probably looking into the future and having a hard time figuring out how they make a profit. That's a whole other conversation which we can have in the future in terms of how people are getting their sports. 
how they're watching or not watching their sports. And that's a fascinating topic, which is going to change the financial structure of all sports. We're talking with Andy Dulwich, former big league executive with all four major big four sports, uh, NHL, NBA, NFL, and Major League Baseball. Andy, we did want to have you on. I read some comments from the commissioner the other day, and again, uh, we now hear three cities mentioned as potential uh, expansion targets in MLB, and they are Montreal, Monterey, or Mexico City, or Charlotte, North Carolina. But again, the commissioner reiterated that nothing will be done on Major League expansion until the cities of Tampa and Oakland get their stadium deals aligned. How many more years do you think we'll be hearing that mantra from Manfred? I can't really speak about Tampa and what the opportunities are in expansion. And, of course, every sport is talking expansion. And I think other than the NFL guys, nobody should be talking about expansion. Right. That being said, I am fairly knowledgeable, I think, of what's happening here in Oakland, having spent 15 years with the A's during probably some of the best years that that franchise has ever had, both on the field and at the, at the gate. And by, um, and by the and, way, all that success was based on the work of one man, David Rubenstein, correct? Absolutely, yeah. and I'm going to see him later today at an event, and I will absolutely tell him that you said that, because he's carried me all these years. That no I've question about it, no question. But because very few people know the genius of the Baltimore-born David Rubenstein, we'll move on. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a constant debate here in the Bay Area, and everybody knows that the Giants are having a very difficult year, um, but they play in one of the finest ballparks in all of Major League Baseball. You know, it's sort of Camden Yards on steroids. It's really a great place. The Giants have surprisingly won three World Series in the last seven years. And their fan base is as loyal as they come. They're drawn three-plus million every year. The A's are a different story. Um, the ownership, the current ownership, which is John Fisher, uh, heir to the gap of Gene's uh, fortune, uh, he brought in a new executive, Dave Cobble, who I know pretty well, who was president of the San Jose Earthquakes and Major League Soccer. They built a nice new stadium in San Jose. And Dave has the responsibility of getting something done here in Oakland. Um, what hits me, though, is that the original Colosseum in Rome, you guys weren't around for that, but it took eight years to build the Colosseum in Rome. Right. The A's, who play at the Colosseum, have been trying to build a new ballpark for 12 years. What's wrong with that equation? <laughs> um, so, so Dave Cobble... Easier to get la- it was easier to get labor back then. Yeah. Uh, true, and you had valet parking for chariots, and you had suites. <laughs> it's just that the end of the game didn't work out for some people really well. But... All, all that being said, the A's have been very definitive in the Bay Area in the last few months that by the end of this calendar year, they are going to announce a decision between three locations. One is the Port of Oakland. It's called Howard Terminal. The other is called the Peralta Site, which is near Laney College and Lake Merritt in downtown Oakland. And the third, which is my favorite but isn't going to hunt, 
is the existing Coliseum site where the A's share the stadium with the Raiders, who are leaving for Las Vegas sometime in the future. And as you know, the Golden State Warriors have already begun construction on their new downtown stadium in San Francisco, which will see them tipping off by 2019. Okay. So Commissioner Manfred has been very supportive of Oakland saying, well, it looks like they're enthusiastic. Their marketing slogan this year is rooted in Oakland in the midst of the silver and black taking a hike and the Warriors moving across the bay. But I have some real questions about once they make this decision, how long is it going to be until they build the stadium? And the other point that you guys are well aware of is the A's are known throughout baseball as Billy Bean and now David Forrest. As soon as somebody is fattened up, they're traded. So all the fans here expect to see Sonny Gray gone at some point, Mm -hmm. who's pitching really well these days. You know, they got two bangers, one young in in Chris Davis, um, and they're not really making... If I was still there marketing, you know, I look at those guys as a McGuire and Canseco. I mean, they got, what, 47 home runs between them or 50 home runs between them. You you hardly hear anything. So I'm going to have to see, and I think many other people, a definitive statement when they have this press conference as to when they're breaking ground, where the stadium's going to be, how much it's going to cost, and is John Fisher, who is the Howard Hughes of sports owners, is he going to pay for every penny of the stadium and the infrastructure because the first two sites, Howard Terminal and this Peralta site, Lake Merritt, are going to have massive infrastructure costs in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And you're talking about getting people from <laughs> to and from the ballpark, uh, highway entrances and additions that way. Exactly. And, and as, as we've seen, and again, I think Camden and what the Nationals have done, what the Giants have done, and many others, they build these parks now in in areas in the city which have tremendous growth around them. It's not just the ballpark. It's not that model that we had 30 or 40 years ago where somebody built out in the suburbs and hoped that the sports fans would get there. Now it's just part of the urban landscape, and it's helped to resuscitate cities, and that's what Oakland is thinking about. I'm just concerned that the team and the city and the county might not be on the same page because out here there's not going to be a penny of public money just because the way the economy is. How will Oakland, before they eventually get to Las Vegas, they play another year in the Coliseum this upcoming year, but how will the move down to share the park with the 49ers if it goes to that in the following year, how does that affect, you know, maybe fan base? And, I mean, I know there's a lot of fans that are already upset about the move to Las Vegas, but how does that affect the Raiders in terms of their fan base uh, with, when they go down to Levi Stadium? As I understand it, the lease is for two more years. Okay. So they play, they play this coming season at the Coliseum and one more. Now, there is debate in the marketplace, elected officials saying, you know, get out of our building. You've, you've basically told us we're not good enough. Now, if you follow the Las Vegas conversations, 
there's still some question as to how long it's going to take them to build the Raider Dome. Right. They have um, not They have it, not laid shovel to ground yet there. And they haven't even selected the exact site. Right. Now, they have $750 million of public money, which is ultimately the reason that they're in Vegas, the mm-hmm. largest amount of public money ever in the history of American sports to build a single-use stadium. That being said, when I was with the Niners for three years, we had definitive conversations with the Raiders because the NFL wanted the two-team model. Look at the success of the Jets and the Giants. Mm -hmm, Look at what's going to happen in Inglewood. It's going to be two teams, uh, right? I mean, the Rams and and the the Chargers. Chargers. So Al Davis was alive at that particular time, and essentially Al said, never going to happen. Raider Nation shares with no one. And, <laughs> and, and unfortunately, you know, Al passed away, but Mark Davis um, sort of agreed with his dad's wishes, and they bypassed that. What the league would have wanted, in my view, is already the Raiders could have been playing in this new Levi mm-hmm. Stadium, you know, yeah. 33 miles from where they train in Alameda, where I used to live. They've blown that opportunity. And now, as you, as you pointed out, they're going to be in some gap years between the end of their lease in Oakland and the opening of their stadium in Las Vegas. So do they become Team Bedouin? I mean, I always laugh at Raider Nation. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you have to have a passport to be in Raider Nation? It's like Raider Nation goes <laughs> well, any place. Well, with some of those outfits in the black hole that you see, maybe you do. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in realistic terms, they are going to have to find either goodness in their heart from the Oakland and Alameda County officials to extend their lease, which there is some logic depending, again, on the three-tiered chess game that's being played with when the Warriors are leaving, what are the A's going to announce, where are they going to be, and the Raiders leaving. As you said, the most logical decision would be if there is no interest in the Coliseum authorities having the Raiders continue, they could go to Levi's. They could actually play at the University of California Stadium. I mean, these are all hypotheticals. They could play at Stanford, or they could play at beautiful Sam Boyd Stadium um, in Las Vegas, which seats, what, 36,000? Um, th- there are alternatives, but none of them are good. And to the last point, uh, the Raiders have gone from the laughing stock of football teams in the Bay Area to one that uh, performed a little bit better than another, which went 2-14 and 14 last year. Who would have thought that? The 49ers. And the Raiders are a clear preseason favorite to do some damage. And, you know, David Carr is a rich man. Let's get back to the uh, baseball stadium in Oakland. I, I've known you a long time, Andy, and, and I kiddingly, uh, you are one of the smarter people I know in this in this world. How much money are we talking Stan, about? Stan, let's, let, two things. One, I appreciate that. Thank two, you. smart and sports are oxymorons, okay? Yeah, true. People go into sports because they weren't smart enough to get a real job. Well, that's why, you're, that's yeah. why you are what you are. 
but and that's you know, why you guys are who you are. Right? Yeah, but we're exactly. missing we're missing the smarts part of it. <laughs> but, okay, but, okay. Well, we'll talk about that at a later. Time. But getting back to the gist of my my point, what kind of dollars difference are we talking about to do what you want to do with the baseball stadium, which is to build it right where all the infrastructure mm-hmm. is? Are we talking two hundred and fifty million dollars difference? Yeah, well, here's the challenge, and again, it seems more fantasy now, but if you turn the clock back a bit, which is very hard to do, the Raiders and the A's last shared stadium of the baseball and football team in the United States, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that has its problems. And the Coliseum needs to be replaced. Nobody's going to argue that. But the A's, there's enough space in and around the Coliseum, call it footprint, 180 acres, 200 acres. Uh, greatest transportation in the Bay Area, two main roads, the BART, Bay Area Rapid Transit System, which is like Metro, an airport connector, uh, an airport is only two miles away. Right. So they could have, Mark Davis could have, if he wanted to, with the lack of money that he has, they could have remodeled the Coliseum for mm-hmm. football only, mm-hmm. let's say at 500, 600 million. And that was before he found this incredible pot of gold in Vegas. And he just kept looking and failing to go to other locations. While that was happening, the A's, the Raiders could have played at Levi's or any of the other locations we talked about. The A's could uh, possibly share AT&T. Now, that's a much bigger challenge, but it could be done while the A's, you know, uh, are building their new ballpark at the Coliseum site. And any uh, genius in building new stadiums would tell you that the A's circumstance in one of the two places, if it's Howard Terminal and and Peralta slash Lake Merritt, that's going to probably be an $800 million number. Uh, in that ballpark. Right. If they were to build at the Coliseum site, it's probably $200 million less because you don't have environmental concerns. $600 you million have, you're talking about. Right. You don't have infrastructure because you have BART. You have all this incredible public transportation, which is extremely important in California in every major city because of all the environmental concerns. So... It's great that the A's are talking enthusiastically about a new park in two locations that are not the Coliseum. I, for one, as a New York-born and raised cynic, I want to see what they have to say. And let's just say it's one of those two sites. What happens in the five to seven years that it may take to build a new park in one of those two locations? And at the Coliseum site, you could probably be in a new park in three or four years. And that's a big difference. It's a huge difference. Unbelievable insight, as always, from uh, Andy Dulwich. Um, They they say they're going to have this announcement before the end of the calendar year, though, correct? Exactly. There was some talk that they were going to do it earlier. And, guys, here's here's another point uh, where I scratch my head. If you're a baseball team, don't you want to announce the most important decision that this franchise is maybe ever going to make? Wouldn't you want to do that in the baseball season? Yeah. Yeah. Why, why would you do it? 
at the end of the year, November, December, where people are talking about family, they're talking about holidays, they're talking about who's getting the drumstick. You know, I don't get that. There was some talk that they were going to announce June or July. Well, June's gone. Right. No, doesn't look like July. And if I'm, I think I know something about marketing. Wouldn't you want this, you know, around the World Series, around the playoffs? Clear, you know, the A's are not going to get there. But wouldn't you want this when people are really focusing on baseball? I don't get that one. That just seems really odd and a horribly missed opportunity. Well, like you said, smart and sports are oxymorons. (laughs) Andy Dolich, thank thank you for joining in the bat around. Really appreciate it. Always love having you. Gentlemen, always happy to be back on the East Coast with you. All right. Say hello to David Rubenstein today. (laughs) See ya. Talk to you later, Andy. One of the greatest things I ever do when I go out to the Bay Area is just get in the car drive across the Golden Gate Bridge and up on the hill and just there's several different places you can sit there and just view the city. Yeah. And it's it's about as the most relaxing thing you can do is just take the car up on the hill, park it and look back into San Francisco over the br- bridge cuz Sausalito's right it's below my, you. It's my favorite city. Yeah. It's it's a it's an unbelievable thing that's happened to me with this bridge phobia I mm-hmm. have now. I never even think of going there anymore. Is that right? Yeah, really crazy. Wow. All right. If you like great food and baseball, you have to visit. Got to go over the bridge, though. You have to go over I the can't bridge. Go there. Can't go Unless there. Somebody's driving. Sorry. Me. Sorry. I'll eat the food, though. <laughs> but I could wait, and you could bring me back something. Right. I'll drive to the mm-hmm. precipice. Right. And then you can bring me something back. Well, if if you like great food and baseball. You have to do what I did last week. and Go that's across visit. the bridge. Go across the bridge. Big Bats Cafe located just over the Bay Bridge in Kent Island. And you can take the first exit to 216 St. Clair Place. Big Bats is the winner of the Golden Anchor Award for voted, and they were voted, Best Burgers and Wings. It's like visiting Cooperstown, but with food. Check them out at BigBats.com. And if you're special enough, you can get a T-shirt like I got. Now, did he? Did Steve give you that T-shirt, or you bought it? I bought the T-shirt. Good for you, yeah. man. Good for well, you. Well, because I told him that I knew that the. Uh, uh, no, He's no. Leaving me hanging. I'm leaving you hanging because I knew if I went to Big Bats and told him, "Hey, Stan the Fan said lunch was on him," and they said, "I would have had a heart attack." Who's Stan the Fan? <laughs> we'll be back with more right after this. We'll close things out. <laughs> It's summer, which means you're driving somewhere. It might be Ocean City, maybe Wildwood or the Outer Banks, wherever it is. You're driving there, and you haven't driven that far in a while. So you need to go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, because they're going to give you a free road trip check and a free battery check, plus the best prices on tires in town and $79.95 AC services all summer long. Don't wait until you're on the road to find out there was something wrong with your vehicle. Go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first. You can call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS or visit FullCircleTireAndAuto.com to find out more. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Canham Yard. Yeah, we've, we've been, been in Section 336. 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. 
Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're section 336. Every Monday night. It's Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, we tend to sit in 334. But the ticket's screwed up. We're just, we can touch section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, section 336. Yeah, so section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Press that. box. Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or by going to iTunes or Section336.com. Baltimore, it's time. Time for major golf. Time for golf's legends. Time to get up close and see it live. Get your tickets to see legends like John Daly, Colin Montgomery, and three-time defending champion Bernard Langer at this year's Constellation Senior Players, July 11th through 16th at prestigious Cave Valley Golf Club. Tickets start at only $20 and kids get in free. Visit CSPGolf.com to learn more today. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling podcast. No, 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 no. Don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling podcast. Look, just just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to Jobbing Out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone? You're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, (laughs) real quick. It's Jobbing Out. Glenn Clark, Aaron. Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle friends and family package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. We are back here. Uh, Just a couple minutes to go before we close out our show. A reminder that tomorrow, uh, Ken Zalis and Sarita Hubbard, they're going to have a really great show tomorrow. And they've got a very special guest they wanted me to announce at around 10.30. I'll be on their show tomorrow. Well, that'll that'll cause the views to go way up. <laughs> anyway. And I Don't leave you, me hanging I twice. I won't leave you hanging Don't this time. Don't leave me hanging twice. Um, that's tomorrow, 10 to 12, Fantasy and Reality Football Show. And, boy, they must be ready to rock and roll with fantasy football just around the corner. If I played any kind of fantasy sports... I would drive myself crazy because, one, with everything you do outside covering the teams that I cover, you get up close to game time and you're thinking, do I have any roster moves to make or anything like that? I could never do it. So I, I just don't do it. Yeah, I, I understand. I, I, I appreciate the people that do do it. Right. I, just, I just can't do you it. You look down upon us. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, not, yes, not, you do. No, oh, yes, 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 yes. Not at all. Although I will say when people look at me and go, you know, Damn that Joe Flacco. Right. And, and, and I'm saying, oh, it's a fantasy thing, isn't it? <laughs> um, and then Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and uh, Kyle Ottenheimer and, with and the I Glenn Clark in, Show. I got to get in here with these guys uh, one day here soon. Because, yeah. uh, well, I'm sure they'll have you on. Well, Glenn, Glenn was kind enough to come in uh, for that hour when you were on vacation. And uh, I've been on his show before, and I've made special trips to come up. But it's always a blast doing the show with Glenn Clark. 
Not that it's not with you. So I knew that was the next thing coming out of your mouth. So, but it, well, if I if I cared about what your opinion was, I well, I might of course, have, you there know. you go. But it's always a blast to be in here with, with Glenn Clark and, and bat around some of the things that uh, are going on in the region. You bat around with Glenn Clark? Absolutely. Really? We were the bat around before we were the bat oh, around. Really? Yeah. Well, I'll go back. I'll see you that bat around, and I'll go back to like uh, 1999 on 1300. Yeah. 1998 on yeah. 1300. We were batting around. We were batting around. We were batting around downtown at the uh, old ESPN zone. Yeah. We were batting around out at the Costas Inn. And the Havana Club. And Havana Club, yeah. Yeah, we were batting around a long time. We've been batting around. Uh, we were batting around with Paul Mittermeier that's back right. then. That's yep. right. Absolutely. All right. Um, and that's uh, that's our show for today. Again, we'll be back next Saturday, 10 to 12, with the bat around. I'll be on tonight after the O's and the Cubs game on Facebook.com slash StandTheFanCharles with my Facebook Live O's post-game chat. I always like to get on there because I can text Stan from the ballpark. Yeah, he throws off the whole thing. I'm reading these things, and I'll go, you're a jackass. No. And I, I, and I read that. <laughs> uh, but I'll be on tonight and the uh, Inside Press Box program tomorrow morning. Uh, we had a great show this week uh, that we uh, we did. You? We, we, we had Mr. Stein? Mr. Stein. And, and who's your uh, guest? Can't, you can't remember. Can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, uh, it's getting... It's anyway. Get, and, my, and my board isn't even around there. It's Now it's upstairs. The, the important thing... We had, Bo, we had Bo Smolko on, okay. uh, who is our new Ravens writer, doing a super job. And we had Bernie Walter, who was just named to the uh, high school federation, National Federation of High School Coaches uh, in America. Uh, their Hall of Fame. So. Wade Miley, Jake Arietta tonight out at the ballpark. Cubs and Orioles game two of the series. Nationals are in Cincinnati for game two of their series after the win last night. And Gio Gonzalez throwing eight scoreless innings at the Great American Ballpark. All right. We'll see you next week. Have a great week ahead, everybody.